Welcome to Have You Seen This, the podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten cinema. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. Welcome to Have You Seen This? I'm Jennifer Albright. And I'm Tim Heidrich. We have a guest today. It's Emma Bowers. Hi, guys. How's everyone doing? Uh, Emma, what do you do? I work at a zoo. Um, <laughs> so that's that's my current job. I would say um, a lot of my main career has been based in what I like to simply call animal education, animal outreach. Uh, and to put it simply, it's just me teaching people about animals. A lot of my jobs have been about that. I One of my earlier jobs, I was like taking like, you know, reptiles to kids' birthday parties. I worked for an exotic wildlife rescue when I was living in LA. And um, now I get to do it in kind Kind of a kind of a big professional setting, which is really awesome. Fantastic. And you'll find out that there's a reason that I asked Emma on the show. It's because we're talking about a very special movie today. Who would like to take a crack at describing the film that we are about to discuss? Uh, I, I could poison the well and say this movie's garbage, but I know that doesn't narrow it down. Jen, <laughs> this is really more at your wheelhouse about... Um, uh, people in Hollywood being injured un- unnecessarily. Maybe you can lead us off. Well, I love mayhem. Um, this movie is called Roar. It was 11 years in the making. It finally came out in 1981. Uh, apparently, it's the story of a bearded, unwashed lunatic who's subletting a house from some lions. <laughs> and now- then a bunch of people get hurt. <laughs> Yeah, but it's in the fun. movie and in the filming. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> what horrifies me. Yes, if you even like a quick Wikipedia, you're like people. People almost died making this movie, but the movie presents itself like like oh, too many lions, oh, and you're like, this is it's supposed to be funny. Like you're supposed to watch these lions aggressively like hump and maul like a 16 year old Melanie Griffith and chuckle. <laughs> But you know that she had facial <laughs> facial reconstruction surgery. Yeah, the 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 you lion. You know, lion's gonna lion. What can you do? <laughs> this movie um, was barely released. I did. Um, I the people who made it went seventeen million dollars in the hole and only made two million back. Um, it has had some latter day cult attention. It was released by the Alamo Draft House, and there. Um, when this movie initially came out, it was marketed as an adventure comedy. Um, when the Draft House people marketed it, they went heavy on the the maulings and the injuries that took place on the set. Um, they actually put as a tagline, 70 people were harmed during the filming of this movie. Although no animals were harmed. Yeah, they do say that right up at the beginning. They're like, though it appears... You know, this way, like no animals were actually harmed in the making of this. But film. I'm sure you guys read this; they were, like, not in the movie, but sometime during the filming, lions escaped and they were killed by, like, you know, like acting, like, you know, like acting sheriffs or something. 
Yeah, but that's getting killed. That's not getting hurt. It doesn't count. <laughs> they didn't feel yeah, anything. They, they, they died hurt briefly before they were died. Yeah. And keeping on with the insane credits, at the beginning, they they give writing and directing credits to the lions because they're like, <laughs> hey, we're dealing with wild animals here. Like, they're going to act unpredictably. We just kind of point the camera at them and let them do their thing. Like, you know, be a natural lion, man, whatever. Yeah, instead but, of 100 monkeys, it's like 50 lions. <laughs> yeah, so it is it, so it is the, the first and only movie that I know of that has a writing credit given to a lion, and... My God, it shows. <laughs> <laughs> like, they took a real loose hand with the directing of this movie. Yeah, to get a little bit more into the background, um, the real driving force, or maybe I should say folly ado behind this movie, was Noel Marshall and Tippi Hedren. Um, Tippi Hedren is familiar to most people as the star of The Birds and Marnie, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. I'm not even going to get into her experience with Hitchcock because that could be like, that could take another four hours of recording. Um, suffice to say, after she was released from her Hitchcock contract, um, she had married her agent. Uh, that's Noel Marshall. He was an agent turned producer. And... Director of only this film. Yes. And th- you know, thank goodness for that. I mean, if he could have directed zero films, it would have been better. But I guess just leaving it at one is, you know, the next best thing. Well, and this is the interesting thing. I read Tippi Hedren's autobiography to do a little bit of prep because she goes in depth on um, the insane making of this film. And she's up front right away. Yeah, I married my agent and manager. We didn't love each other. But, you know, so it was one of those kinds of marriages. A smart business move. Yep. Pretty much, like she's pretty frank about that. Um, and they did divorce very soon after the release of this film. I am I think that probably because production was so chaotic, they probably just didn't have time to get divorced during the making of it, which is my it guess. Was something is long overdue, reason. yeah. Yeah, I, I'm guessing it's the only reason they, <laughs> they stayed together. And the guy obviously... Now, somebody needs to write a biography of this fucking guy because, holy shit, um, her like t- the way Tippi Hedren describes him in her autobiography is he's just unleashed force of nature, and an exemplar of that pre-roar is that they were sitting around at the house that they shared, talking about getting married, and they were they couldn't think of a venue, and he said, "Why don't we get married here?" and Tippy looks around. She says, well, you know, there's not a lot of room. And he's like, oh, here's what we'll do. We'll knock that wall down. We'll do this. We'll put in this addition, blah, 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 blah. Immediately gets up, grabs a sledgehammer, and starts demolishing the offending wall. That, like, so he's a he said, no, he's just having manic episodes. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like Tippy Hedren is, she certainly seems like a very strong person considering everything she's been through. I think she's... Um, circumspect when the situation calls for it and she doesn't spend a lot she says she only alludes to the problems in her marriage she doesn't go in depth just saying like yeah it's kind of tiring to be around this kind of person all the time but it's like i like yeah can you have an 11 year manic episode i wonder (laughs) (laughs) and it certainly comes through in his performance i mean he you know he's also the star of the film because who the fuck else is going to star in this besides this lunatic and his family? And that's pretty much what they got. Um, Tippi Hedren plays his wife. You know, he plays a doctor, scientist, madman who lives in Africa. Yeah, he plays by a madman. 
It's like yeah. it's like yeah. Doctor Moreau, except instead of lion people, it's just full on lion. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Moreau, without any of this scientific rigor, really. Yeah, like I mean, say what you will about like the ethics of that. It's like, nah, he's kind of like splicing like you know DNA together. That's impressive. This guy just has a bunch of lions yeah. in his house. Yeah, like that takes work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the thing about the the actor and the director's energy, getting back to what Jen is saying about him being like this manic personality, it reminded me of a thing that um, people said about interacting with Tom Cruise, and that he's very, you know, he's very up, he's very positive, he's very enthusiastic, but sort of in an um, uh, in a in a domineering way, in a sort of like I feel great. Why don't you feel great too? You're supposed to feel great. I want you to feel great. We're here, two people feeling great together. Feel great, damn it. Feel great. And so feel great it, as this lion chews on your head. No, no, he's just yeah, playing. He's so, just playing. <laughs> yeah. So it it's kind of seems like that could be what like you know Tippy is sort of being exhausted over and dealing with a personality like that, where it's like you kind of steamroll over what other people are are feeling and thinking. And being like, no, we're we're gonna have a great time making this movie with fifty lions or so. I wonder what was the point where um, like, it's like I want you on board with my weird obsession with lions. Well, she, of course, is also an animal lover. Um, the set that they built in uh, Soledad Canyon is still her wildlife sanctuary, Shambhala. Um, like she's in her eighties now, and she still, you know, oversees this sanctuary for all this wildlife of course the difference being now no one directly interacts with the animals oh pain is a great teacher the <laughs> <laughs> so shambhala like reminiscent of the word shambles like that's what it's named after right <laughs> the zen state of total chaos yeah. um yeah yeah and, and so, you know and you know she does talk in her autobiography about you know the first time that she met a lion and how it, how much of an impression it made on her. She's obviously an animal lover. They're obviously both animal lovers if they proceeded with this insane project. Was the first lion that she met Aslan or something? Because clearly... Well, she does say in her book that um, she met a very calm, sweet lion, and she said to the trainer, you know, he could never hurt anyone. And the trainer pointed out that that particular lion was 25, which is the equivalent to being 80 years old in human years. <laughs> Oh, okay. So... And then she took that to be like, lines don't hurt people. I'll file that away. Well, credit where it's due, in preparation for the film, they brought lions into their house. They First, they had a full-grown lion come over four or five days a week to interact with at their home. In the, This was in the San Fernando Valley, by the way. This was before they built the place in, in Soledad Canyon. And then they started acquiring lion cubs because the trainers were telling them, oh, well, you need to spend time with them, and, you know, it's better if you raise them from very young, and, you know, then they'll be easier to work with. Um, Again, like, really weirdly misguided. Easier. Because, yeah. <laughs> Emma, like, you can't, like, you can socialize an animal, but you can't, like, unmake a wild yeah, animal. Yeah, and this is something, and, I mean, they mention this on Fatal Attractions a lot, because half the plots are people getting wolves, and that ends as you'd expect. But the problem is... Um, people, there's a difference between tame or socialized and domesticated. And yes. domesticated is just us basically through fucking animal eugenics making these animals codependent <laughs> on us. So, um, you know, anything like a horse, a dog, like a chicken, they 
for us, like they're we're they're so of us. Like domesticated actually is Latin for of the home. Like they they're essentially like kind of some people describe dogs as just like baby wolves to some extent. They're essentially like dependent. And the thing is, wild animals, even ones that view humans as normal or just something they're used to don't have that it's still in their nature to say challenge them for high you know challenge them on some level you know so yeah yeah, so you can have a lion that's perhaps used to people you can definitely have a lion that you know is to a level like so it's like kind of trained they can have behaviors they can respond to cues or commands that people tell them but they're still a lion and there's nothing hardwired in their genetics to not decide they want to challenge you because it's what they would do in the wild oh and there's a lot of challenging going on in this movie oh oh yeah and he's he's handling that all wrong (laughs) yeah how do you i mean because you um when you watch the movie like as you know someone who has has been around animals wild and domestic um what were your first impressions watching i mean just when you when you uh we as an audience arrive at this guy's house which is completely fucking filled, not just with lions, but with tigers, leopards, All big black cat. panthers, like for some reason, a couple of cougars. What the fuck? <laughs> like, you- I'd like to meet some cougars in San Fernando Valley. I don't know. <laughs> Angelique's still around in Hollywood. You know, you gotta go, go say hi to her. Yeah. Um, I mean, you ask how I feel Corvette, and yeah. cringe. That's the word that comes to mind. It is something so <laughs> uncomfortable about seeing like, that it's not just one it's it's so many it's different species which already throws me off lions are sociable so if you ever go to a zoo you probably see like a couple in a group together but like the other ones uh mountain lions tigers like they're completely solitary so that already has got to be uncomfortable for like them and then you see like Nowadays at zoos, there's always something called like protective contact. So if the animal's deemed dangerous, like a lion, you as a keeper, you are never in direct contact with it. There's always a barrier of some sorts, no matter if the animal's like, you know, 20 years old, they're sleeping. So just me and knowing that and spending a lot of my time explaining that to guests, like, why isn't the keeper getting at the elephants? Well, here's why. It's so uncomfortable to see this man who, um, like I said, is in the middle of a manic episode, just like run in with them. And he's saying like, no, you just gotta like challenge him. You gotta like show him who's boss. You gotta show him who's boss, which going back, like no one in any reputable level of working with animals does this like ever because if you challenge them or try to like control them through dominance or you know fear or pain they'll probably resent you for that and they will suddenly realize that you're very small and you're very very fleshy so he has no protective barrier he's not using positive reinforcement to get these guys under control it's just it's it's everything wrong it's just cringe Yeah, and even from, like, one of the first scenes of him with the lions where, yeah, like you say, he just, like, dives into this melee of lions just sort of struggling for for dominance. And one of them, like, takes a swipe at him and, like, catches his hand. And, you know, the continuity is such that his hand continues to be injured through the rest of the film because a a lion, like, got its claw in it. Like, they got a piece of him, like, right in that shot. Yeah, no animals were harmed in the making of this, and also no fake blood was used. Like, I'm not even joking. (laughs) Yeah, because there are later scenes where he's, you know, making tender with, you know, one of the lion cubs is just, like, hanging out in the corner of the house because God knows what's going through its head. 
and he mentions like the cut on his hand that you've had had bandaged up, and it's like, yeah, it's because you're an idiot who got clawed by a lion. Like, all these things happen. All these lions have complex PTSD. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, it was so hard. Like I, well, I, my mother's dog, little Louie. Louie's like this neurotic little mess. Every time I visit him, he's a mess, and he's a mess because he has like doggy PTSD because this crazy little lady like kept him in a house of like fifty other dogs. <laughs> You know? Oh no! Yeah, like hoarders. So it's like, no, the, this guy's a lion hoarder. <laughs> like, oh my god, he really is. And like, he can't just like collect bottles of his urine like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, like a normal person, please. Well, Jesus, and that's kind of true because um, reading about the production of the film, you know, they were like, okay, we'll get some lion cubs and live with them because, and you know, these these two well-meaning idiots they decided that they wanted to make a movie after they were uh, i believe that they were in africa and they went by a game warden's cottage that had been completely taken over by a pride of lions i mean there weren't any like fucking tigers or anything running around because it's fucking africa it was just a pride of lions were like on the veranda and, and they were like wow that's such an amazing image and uh noel marshall says we should make a movie about that to which but, Tippi Hedren says, well, okay, like, what's what's the story? Like, you know, and that seems to have been an afterthought. <laughs> and Yeah. This, oh, yeah, no, I was going to say, like, here's the thing. If I was, like, on safari in Africa and I came across, like, some abandoned, like, colonizer house full of lions, my first thought would not be, <laughs> wow, like, we could have such magic and whimsy in here. My first thought would be something terrible has happened. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, like, you know, like some shaman, like, touching the dirt. Something terrible has happened here. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how many human femurs can you count from where you're sitting? Well, and that's the funny thing because, um, again, this movie was finally released in 1981 the same year that a movie called savage harvest came out um which i think is a little more horror oriented because it is about people getting attacked by lions that one um oddly enough was produced by a trainer named ralph helfer who i think um at some point met with tippy and noel to discuss um you know how the how the fuck they were going to make this movie but, um, it's like, you know how to get mauled by lions. How do I do that? <laughs> yeah, like, I assume that I don't know anything about that film, um, except that Tom Skerritt is in it. Um, but I, I hope that their production was a little less um, horrifying. But anyway. Yeah, so the back to the point that you were making about them seeing a uh, you know game warden house that had been taken over by lions and them going, oh, that's funny, you should do a story about that. <coughs> and then the actual story being an afterthought is really the case because it's like 15, 20 minutes in, into the movie and I'm like, I, I still don't know what this is about. Like, well, there are a lot of things happening, but every yeah. scene, like the subtext of every scene is, here are some big cats. <laughs> These lions are going apeshit, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's like, I don't know, like, uh, I don't even know who, like, the antagonist is. Like, some people show up and then I mean, there leave. are some poachers, but then they get mauled by lions. Right, <laughs> along with everyone else in the cast, so you can't yeah. really. See yeah, they're not it special. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just people show up, get mauled, and leave. And what's odd is like, you, if you change the music, this would be a horrifying movie because the family's like, "Get to the door, go, go!" They're breaking and they're breaking, and the music's like, "Do do 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 do, do 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 do, dee 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 dee." Yeah, it was that. Yeah, era this apex when... predator got in the house. <laughs> Wacky. Yeah, it was an era when like they still did like comedy music for comedies, but I think in this in 
this particular example, they're like, okay, we really need to sell the comedy because it does not fucking come <laughs> through on screen. These people are terrified. And these were people yeah. who had lived with these animals. I mean, so we have, obviously we have uh, Tippi Hedren, Noel Marshall, um, Noel Marshall's two, two of his three sons, um, the third refused to act on camera and just was a production designer. Um, so his sons, his sons, yeah, John and, yeah. the smart son, he gets to live. <laughs> <laughs> so his sons, John and Jerry and, um, Tippi Hedren's daughter by previous marriage, uh, Melanie Griffith in her nymphette years. Um, and keep in mind, all these people had lived with these animals, you know, they, um, even the ones, the ones that had been raised from, you know, little tiny cubs, but it's still like absolute chaos and they have to act like they're scared for the purpose of the story because they're a family who just arrive and are overwhelmed by this group of big cats. But I, I think that's the worst way to act in front of a wild animal. Well, and they mentioned that too in the uh, Wikipedia article, because I only do the uh, most cursory of research is that (laughs) they're saying that, you know, you're acting that you're scared, but even though they built up this rapport with the cats, if you're acting scared, like you don't even, you don't, you can be as bad an actress as Melanie Griffith and the cat will still be like, oh, this person's scared of me. I should attack them because they think they're prey. Yeah. And so then the cats just get confused and they're like, oh, okay, this thing must be a prey item. I'll, I'll treat it appropriately. And that's kind of the thing. And uh, there was, I read a really good review on it, which is, I mean, you know, like the crazy dads, like they're just playing. Um, but the thing is like, they, for a lion or a big cat, and if you've had a cat too, you know this, that's both. And with a lot of predatory animals, their play is just practicing to kill something. Like, you ever seen, like, your dog with, like, a toy? Like, it's like, he's playing if it's like, no, like, look, he's, like, grabbing it by the neck and shaking it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you see a lot of that on the screen, which is people running willy-nilly across the frame pursued by lions like even if they're just going somewhere like it's, you know it's very shakespearean yes x is pursued by a lion yeah, like, and i'm like oh my god stop running around the lions because the lions are like oh boy like you know whether little things playing, running away from me yeah either whether they're playing or they actually want to kill yeah. they're like yeah i'm gonna take that down no and anything predatory wants to like give chase like i see this with my dog where if an animal like runs she will go after it my boyfriend once like had to leave early and he got on one of those like terrible scooters you know in the vicinity and she went ballistic like she <laughs> loves him she loves him he loves her but she was gonna chase him down and kill him like <laughs> just like oh it's on yeah because you're yeah, running yeah. That, tr- that in your brain like oh run means prey prey means kill <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. even my dumbass dog wants to chase rabbits and squirrels and stuff when he sees them so you know right, no already no reggie's a mighty hunter he's <laughs> he thinks he is and i um, mean you know he is you know, he's a miniature pincher and he's many, 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 many times removed from his wolf ancestors, but that instinct is still there. Well, I mean, like the whole time, you know, watching this, like I just keep thinking of the moment in Grizzly Man when there was like footage of Timothy Treadwell's girlfriend kind of uneasily sitting very close to this bear that's looming over her. And there's like a zoom into the face of the bear and, and Herzog is like, you know, I don't see any 
humanity or warmth in this this animal's eyes i just see like the chaos and coldness of nature i love that quote like that's one of my favorite quotes (laughs) like it's so we're in a hurt song too like like yeah Yeah, i love that movie it really gets to the to the center of it yeah like these animals aren't your friends they're not good they're not bad but yeah they live in worlds and societies that we can't control which i think is a problem because just we as humans i think want to have you know domain over nature and like a poor grizzly man, you know, you can't. You can't predict or control these things. Yeah. yeah nature really uh, never got a chance to weigh in on whether they're okay with this. <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing because um, there a couple of uh, kind of uh, a couple of nature things that struck me about it. It's like number one, he they have like five or six male lions together, which Ooh. I don't unless I'm mistaken. Um, male lions don't hang out together so i can actually interject in this um so with lion behavior like i said earlier they are sociable and what normally happens is there's kind of a more dominant lion you will quick will take on a pride and i'm sure you guys all know this we also lion king he'll either you know acquire it on his own or he'll come in and like kill the leading male and then kill the cubs uh, that right. being said, though, um, brothers can live together at uh, the, like I've like gone to many a zoo where the lions like that they have are all males. The thing is just you can't introduce a female. Okay. That's the big thing that'll cause them to start fighting. Like they can live and live together successfully in bachelor groups. They they actually um, they actually would prefer that rather than to be alone. It'll just be like a bunch of lion bros as opposed to like one lonely lion. They're just sociable like that. But that being said, though, like you saw the thing, there are multiple female and male lions in there. And also, <laughs> even when they live together, like I said, Lucy and Harmony and Harmony, um, they still challenge each other for dominance. They have a ranking system. So like you have so much stress there. You have horny lions. You have lions trying to figure out who's in charge. You have stress stranger danger cats like you know like fucking ligers showing up like it's a goddamn mess and already now anyone listening knows more about lion behavior than director noel marshall at time, <laughs> yeah it's kind of interesting at the time because um you know um i really loved the book born free when i was a kid um because i really like big cats um i like i like the movie a lion called christian which is about a couple of guys who adopt uh they buy a lion cub at harrods and then they but then they end up um having him rehabilitated back to the wild Did they buy it from siegfried and roy or <laughs> this was pre-siegfried and roy okay um, and what happened to them but at the time I think with, um, you know, and I, I believe that they were raising, um, Joy Adamson, her husband, were raising Elsa the lion. Um, this was in the f- 50s, 60s in Africa. And because um, people were so drawn to this image of these people raising this, this lion, like Elsa became very popular and like a very great motivator for wildlife preservation and stuff like that. And, um, you know, Born Free was a really popular movie with a hit song. And so you had this um, growing interest in wildlife and, you know, we'd kind of moved past the staged Disney documentaries of of the 50s and we were starting to learn a little bit more about these animals. But I think at that time they were still in an extremely naive period of not really understanding them as well as they should, you know, which I think is why... I mean, 
you know, animal trainers told Tippi Hedren and Noel, and Noel Marshall, you know, you're insane to try to make this movie. You can't just throw like 50 lines together and make a movie out of it. But, you know, they still had trainers who said, okay, well, if you want to do this, like, I'll get you a lion cub and you raise it in your house. And then, you know, you can work up a little pride, you know, which nowadays seems like just astoundingly naive. But at the time I was like, yeah, we'll make this movie and it'll be really good for wildlife. That was another thing was that they thought it would be it would be a positive force for wildlife preservation. Yeah, and if you see the credits, they do that. They're like, look and help animals and animals are in danger. It's like, yeah, but like, I mean, I know those lions went off to like, you know, the little their little reserve and they're okay. But the truth is a lot of the times, <laughs> usually if someone owns a lion and they're in their apartment or whatever, and it mauls someone or just the cops get called on that noise, those animals get euthanized. <laughs> like that's, yeah, it doesn't yeah, end well. That's, that's the sad truth yeah. on like what happens to most exotic pets, unless you're Uday Hussein's lions and you end up okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Because those lions are still alive, aren't they? They are. They are. I was telling you this, but I mean, you can guess cause I'm on this podcast. I'm fascinated I am absolutely fascinated by people who own exotic pets, especially like well-known kind of, you know, warlords and whatnot. So, <laughs> yeah, so Uday Hussein had lions and he basically fed, you know, anyone who spoke, you know, spoke badly of him to the lions. And uh, when the U.S. invaded in, I guess, 2003, you know, they ransacked his palace and they found these lions. And they were like, well... It wasn't the lion's fault. They're just lions. So, and who knows? It's been a while, but last time I checked, uh, they are alive and well at the Baghdad Zoo. If you go to Baghdad, you can go and see lions that have eaten people. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Now, yeah. You know, I mean, and this even is... Tony Montana had sense to keep like his lions on a little like preserve, separated by some water. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, say what you will about Scarface. At least he was you know, trying to to be. A good uh, curator for exotic pets, and then feeding well, people. Well, here's then. A, here's the question: Did uh, did did he have the people killed and then butchered and thrown to the lions, or did he just throw them in with the lions? I don't know. I mean, these are important. Well, here's the thing, though, and I'm sure you know this about well, Uday Hussein. He was, uh, he was he was he was yeah he was a, he was a sadist. He was like. You know, ugh, I gotta hate going back to like Game of Thrones because we all do this now. But like, whatever. He's basically <laughs> he's basically like Ramsey Snow. You know, he's just the Ramsey yeah. Snow of like the Hussein family. So I wouldn't put it past him to like throw like you know a living human being in of the lions. But I don't know the details, and I don't know. I think just mentally for my own well being, I kind of don't want to know currently. Yeah. Well. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, if exactly. their like industrial shredder was like in the shop or something, or if like it threw a rod, then yeah, they'd have to go to the backup plan, which is throwing them live <laughs> to the lions. Well, and there's a point in this movie, um, there's a there's a lion named Togar. As himself. Every And he's one yes, of those yes. big star every... celebrities. You know, he's like Madonna or Elvis. He just goes by one name. <laughs> he yeah. goes by one name. Yeah. And he gets name checked in in Tippi Hedren's autobiography as, you know, kind of a kind of a terrifying lion, even by lion standards. A bit of a diva, he's, yeah. Well he's a scary looking lion, like um, there's a correlation usually in studies that lions with like uh, black remains tend to be the more like dominant ones and he's just basically is like a black mane like he's a scary looking lion yeah he has a huge dark mane and every insert shot of him is he appears to be covered in blood yes 
And it's disturbing because I know someone didn't like go up to a lion and put like ketchup on him. Like that's real blood. I don't know if it's human or other lion, but like that's like oh. Well, there's a- yeah. That was one of those outtakes. It's uh, it's yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. There, um, like I was just gonna say, there's a scene where um the lions drag their um drag like a dead zebra into the house, and it just looks like a fucking charnel house on the floor. Like, just, like, animal body parts, lions covered in blood fighting. It's And it is it is maybe the most horror movie scene in this movie, which is essentially a horror movie with comedy music. Yeah. Well, the outtakes in that scene are somewhere in a vault along with uh, John Lannis's outtakes from the Twilight. Oh. Yeah, like, um, oh, and the thing that I was going to say about um, Togar the lion um, is that in the movie, he kills some poachers who are kind of worrying the main character. And when that happened, I was like, well, don't they have to shoot him now? Because, <laughs> like, he's uh, he's yeah. just going to fucking get, well, you know, apparently these people don't care. <laughs> no, it's, no, he can't. He's the first lion who knows right from wrong. And he later went on to found the Savo Maneaters. Yeah, like, uh, what's that movie, The Ghost in the Darkness? Like, Yes. <laughs> they're just a lion death cult. <laughs> it's the comedy sequel. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I think the Savo Maneaters were, were mainless, but I'm not sure. But anyway. Um, yeah, so, someone who knows if they're mainless or not, write in. I thought that was their names, Ghost in Darkness, because the movie's called The Ghost in the Darkness. <laughs> right? Am yeah. I wrong? <laughs> Have I been li- very cute? Have yeah. I been like living a lie since like the the nineteen nineties when that movie came out? Maybe we, we should talk about that and Savage Harvest on uh, upcoming episodes. But um, yeah. So another thing that that struck me watching this um, was a was lion just- claw from out of nowhere. <laughs> just fucking slapped in the face oh. by a lion. Yeah. Um. So there are some tigers in the mix. And one of the things I remember from Tippi Hedren's autobiography is, um, you know, in her in her career as kind of like an animal preservationist, like having, you know, actually worked with these animals for better or worse, um, she describes, you know, kind of, I don't want to say like finding an affinity with the lions. And she, and she um, is very negative about a lot of the stuff that they did, you know. Um, she's like, you know, we would never do that today like it was a mistake it was terrible um you know but i feel like she had like kind of an affinity for the the lines that they had in their house the way she describes the tigers is that you can't really make friends with a tiger <laughs> <laughs> not even like for over you can't bond over your breakfast cereal with them. <laughs> <laughs> well and like her point is that you know the tigers were very different from the lions they still have like a bunch of them and there's like an extended scene where um Noel Marshall is Hank, the main character. He's, like, trying to get to the airport to meet his family, and he's followed by two tigers who just have to come along, which, in my mind, was actually kind of funny. Like, I did find that, like, sort of amusing that, you know, he was like, oh, no, we have to take the tigers along or somebody will shoot them. So, you know, he's riding in this car with, like, these tigers just, like, hanging out. Yeah, asking them if they know what a royale with cheese is. (laughs) (laughs) So um, that's kind of funny, but again, like the the comedy is. I, I feel like the movie isn't like even self aware enough to be like a comedy. And this, it's odd because, like I said, there's no plot. It's like 
It's it's no, like there isn't. no, it's like the family's like shows up and they're in a house and then it ends with them just being like, well, I think the lions are just trying to be our friends and we can all live in harmony. It's like an allegory for like the two state solution. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> no, they're like, and friends. about as likely. <laughs> it seems like the only you know nominal plot is filled in via ADR because usually a scene will be here are a bunch of lions attacking people. Someone will like escape somehow, and then via ADR at the end, they'll be like, Oh, there you went, or you jumped into the water. That was pretty stupid. <laughs> but it's like, just to like try and like patch together some kind of narrative. But yeah, but yeah otherwise, it's just like, Here's another scene of chaos with lions. That- you know, this was, this was edited by the cinematographer, uh, Jan de Bont, um, and Jerry Marshall, again, Noel Marshall's son. Um, before we talk a little bit about DeBont, um, I don't know if I should give them credit for assembling anything out of what they had to work with. Cause like, I can't, I can't imagine trying to piece scenes out of Well, yeah, because it's, it's maddening to, to attempt to watch it because every scene is just a repetition of just like chaos with lions. It's that for to 90 be, minutes. To be fair though, like to the credit of the editors, like there is kind of a path they follow where they're in the bottom of the house and then they're running and they get up to the house and they get on the higher area and then they all fall off and then they're back down on the ground. Like, you know, at least it's not like, <laughs> wait a minute, yeah, okay. like they're back up in the stair area, you know. Yeah. Okay, so there is like a, 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 a chart to the narrative that can be graphed. They start at the yeah. first level and then they go up and, and then back down again. It's a video game. <laughs> yeah. To the point where there's literally a scene where one of the sons rides a motorcycle off the roof and into <laughs> the lake. Yeah, That's when like... the scene ends with ADR. Yeah, and somebody's saying, whoa, why did you ride the motorcycle off the roof? <laughs> I don't know, because I was being chased by like 37 lions. And... Yeah, what would you do in this situation? Reason with them? <laughs> I just like that. Mo- it's not planned out. You need to be some like voiceover. Like I can't wait to see Dad and see that motorcycle I used to ride of his. Like that, yeah, that motorcycle <laughs> comes out of nowhere. Like I need some foreshadowing. That there's going to be a motorcycle at the top of the roof. Yeah, yeah you, we know, need to, he, you need to pay that off. Like, yeah. if he just like got on the motorcycle, it'd be like, where the hell did this motorcycle come from? I mean. 50 lions in a house I can accept on a motorcycle? <laughs> yeah, it's it's that one miracle rule. 50 lions, yes. A sudden motorcycle, no. Like, it's one or the other movie. Well, Come like on. Chekhov says, if you introduce 50 lions in the first <laughs> act, you have to have the cast murdered by them by the, the third yeah. act. So, um, it's just basic screenwriting. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess, um, I mean, you know, we talked about how, um, you know, the lions are giving, given writing credit, basically, and... I don't know. It's like we all know how tedious improv can be, and it turns out it's even worse when it's done by lions. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, you can tell it was directed by a lion in the same way that like, you know, the scenes of lions are all over the movie in the same way that like, you know, ch- scenes in China are like ham-fistedly crammed into Avengers movies. <laughs> like, oh, you know, we we want this to play well in the in the uh, lion market too. I hate the. It turns out it turns out yes, and for a lion is just. <laughs> chewing on someone's face yeah yes and mall yes and claw oh god guys like my lion's been like paying like 500 bucks for like you know improv classes and now he's asking <laughs> me to go and see it like it's byob but still uh you know but uh, i guess yeah, like i not. see him every day it's it kind of said i said maybe on the facebook but i don't think he's gonna take no for an answer because he's a lion <laughs> 
the upright cougars brigade. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you, you could you could not drag me with your large incisors to an improv show like that. <laughs> but yeah, I mentioned in in passing Yon de Bont, the, the cinematographer. Um, maybe we could talk a little bit about some injuries that happened on the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, I Yon de Bont is a real one because he literally had his scalp half ripped off by a lion while filming. He took he got about two hundred stitches. And he fucking went back to work. That's my takeaway from this. Like, my my final wrap-up on this is, like, was this piece of shit worth scalping cinematographer Jan de Bont? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's got a cool story now, so, you know. But, yeah, I because, guess. Um, you know, everybody, you know, everybody involved got injured. Um, Melanie Griffith had an incident with a lion where a claw came within a couple inches or less of her... Uh, of her eye and so she had to have some reconstructive surgery and she actually quit the film she went to her mom and said i i don't want to come out of this with half a face but props to her after they had hired a new actress to to play her part and started shooting with that actress she came back (laughs) i which yeah all right, here's I'm, I'm now I'm curious if she had actually like put her foot down and quit, would they have had to reshoot everything or just in terms of just being a peak bad movie halfway through would there have been a different daughter? <laughs> well, and that's 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 what blows it would have been... my mind from like a production standpoint is, you know, I mean, imagine You know the room forged ahead with them replacing one of the characters yeah. or one of the yeah. actors. <laughs> Same feel. Yeah. yeah. Um but you know, imagine that, like, you have an actress quit, so you start reshooting, and then she comes back, and you have all this footage that you can't use, mm-hmm. and you got to shoot it over again. Now, keep in mind, they were financing this themselves. Um, they had, they actually had some money from, I think, EMI and from a Japanese investor. Most of the other investors bailed, because, you know, smartly, when they saw the rushes, they were like, there's yeah, no like, movie. This is lunacy, yeah. yeah. Footage, and someone's going to get killed. Um, now... Noel Marshall, um, he knew William Peter Blatty of Exorcist fame and had actually brokered a deal um, to get um, a percentage of the grosses from the Exorcist. However, what he did was he gave the contract to Blatty to sign and Blatty didn't sign it. So the next thing I know, the, the Exorcist comes out and oh sorry you guys actually aren't going to get those profits that you were counting on to help fund the movie so of course this went into legal action and years later they got you know their profits from the exorcist meanwhile they were just you know sinking their own money into it and this isn't just cost of production it's in hospital visits um it's also caring for all these fucking lions and tigers and and an elephant <laughs> there's a fucking elephant in the movie that made me so uncomfortable going back again like i i don't like seeing like like animals in that capacity like working with what's supposed to be like goofy antics it's like oh no like everyone in this is everyone is clearly like stressed or miserable in this thing and the really funny part is like you're talking about like oh like they sank so much money into this and that's that's so I mean 
you guys live in LA. I was living in LA for a long time. That's so normal. You always met that one person. Yeah, I'm working on a film. Um, you know, yeah, no, it's almost done. We just have to edit it. You know, like, yeah, like I maxed out three of my credit cards, but like once we, <laughs> once, once we submit to Sundance, it's going to be great. And imagine just talking to someone you're going, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. And you realize it's roar. <laughs> yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. And again, like they, they they didn't make their money back on this one. Yeah, and the funny I mean thing at least that, like if you had the fu- put these animals in the circus, like it would have been more responsible. It seems like. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that at the very end of the credits, there's a note that says the proceeds from this film are needed to care for the animals. Please report any video piracy to No Marshall, Acton, <laughs> California. I remember that be- <laughs> because I was telling you this, um, like. My boyfriend is very insistent that we pay for a copy. He just, that's just his, that, no, that's, you, you silly, but this is his moral, this is his moral ground. Like he has. Yeah, you're putting lines out on the street. Yeah, he, and he was like, we are paying for this copy of this thing you're watching for the podcast. And they came up and he was like, see, see, aren't you glad I bought you this? Or else you would have been in big trouble. <laughs> Well, yeah, the jokes would, on Noel him. Marshall would have sent a couple lines over. <laughs> the joke's on him because Noel Marshall died in like 2010. Oh. So. <laughs> yeah, well. Obviously, that super C is copyright, and you should just pirate the shit out of this movie. Yeah. But anyway, um, right. you can't you can't get this movie legally. It is, um, I yeah, think you said you God. streamed it on iTunes. Yeah, yeah, you can get it on iTunes for like 10 bucks. You can have a rip-roaring time. I just came up with yeah. that. <laughs> a face and rip-roaring time. <laughs> Yeah, and obviously there's the there's the release by um, the Draft House people. There's a DVD and Blu-ray, but do not watch this movie. Um, the, <laughs> but... the thing because I like rage, like I I just like hate watch this thing, and it really like I finally snapped like what I dislike about Melanie Griffith, and that she just has that like that ditzy blonde cadence. Like <laughs> I've never really encountered it in real life, but it's that kind of like what I can't quite speak. At a normal pace, like everybody else can, and maybe this that's is no her thing. Moves, I'll say that. It was no night moves. Yeah, I mean that was a nice, you know, introdu- introductory role for her. But in this, I'm just like, I really don't like watching you act. But that's every. But there's so many other well, things. Well, fortunately, about this she's that are immediately terrible. smothered by lions. So right, oh, and so, it's yeah. so weird because they've already kind of set it up like, oh, she's like you said, like she's like a little nymphette, you know. So you're watching this like tiny, like half-dressed girl, with these giant lions on her, be like, oh, oh, get off, oh, he's too big, he's hurting me. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck like is this? this? Lion biting my head it doesn't feel yeah, there's, good. There's a scene where uh, Tippy Hedren comes into a room to find. A lion chewing on her on-screen, on screen off screen daughter, <laughs> which, which is, again, like the the hate watching that I'm experiencing. I'm like, what parent is doing that? Be like, hey kid, I'm gonna put you in a movie. You with this fucking three hundred pound lion, or however much they weigh. I don't know. <laughs> I think they can weigh like, up to five hundred pounds. Depends on it. Like three hundred seems like size. Like yeah, three hundred's fair. Fair to say. Yeah, okay. I'm just like, what sort of, what irresponsible, like, moron puts their kid in a movie with a, with a, a giant male lion? I don't, I. Yeah, and let alone one lion, you know, like, yeah. there were many, like, huge, angry male lions. <laughs> and this is something that I, that, um, Noel Marshall's son said around the time of the Draft House release in 2015, um, you know, one of them is like, yeah, my dad was an asshole to put us through that. 
Yeah, not know. not yeah. only to put his family through it because it he's got yeah, like you said, his two sons in it as well. But then to put the audience through that to realize that <laughs> it is it's a married couple with their kids, like basically filming a vacation feature, and be like, yeah, I'm sure people will love to see this. Those son- like we're watching someone's home video. <laughs> Those sons are like um like Christopher Robin, except if like Christopher Robin was in with like a real bear and a real tiger. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you, Dad. You ruined my childhood. You exploited it for your own profits and fame. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems like just really just dangerous moronic parents with their their wild dream of I want to I want to have a lion sleep in my bed. Just- yeah, and this is the kind of thing that you know they uh, and there are famous photos uh, from I think Life magazine of Tippy and her family uh, interacting with Neil the lion uh, in their house. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that gets posted to Twitter, and then people are like, "What is this white people shit?" <laughs> yeah, because it's like the, the, just their personal fantasy about like wanting to be, I don't know, in touch with nature or whatever. But I to mean, the point where they started collecting lions at their house in the San Fernando Valley. Yeah, like, just like, like pre-Acton. Yeah, uh, I mean, like a wild animal does not belong like in a Sherman Oaks bedroom. Nobody belongs in a Sherman Oaks bedroom. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, really, it's cruel to the animal as well. It's cruel to the human animal. At my old wildlife rescue, I'll never forget this because uh, we were kind of small, but we did take in like some gators and bobcats and things like you know you just weren't supposed to have. And my boss yeah. tells me once we're just talking, and he says, "You know what? Like as human beings, we've grown up just believing that like we can do anything." And that sounds great until you realize that when people hear the words, they can do anything, they take that to mean I can keep an alligator in my bathtub. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yeah. And that just, yeah, that just summed up my entire, like, you know, career at that job. <laughs> just yeah. Like... Yeah. And that's something that I definitely <laughs> want to discuss uh, in relating this movie to some uh, latter day media. But um, before we dive more into talking about human animal interactions, um, Tim, was there anything else that really lit a fire under you about the filmmaking? Uh, just the irresponsible nature of the entire thing. Just like no narrative through it. Uh, I just, I mean, really like just hating this movie as much as I did. I just think, you know, Tippi Hedren deserved everything bad that happened to her. Because uh, <laughs> she, she broke her, uh, she broke her leg in a scene which is in the movie. Uh, the scene where the elephant picks her up. Her leg was crushed between a. T- uh, uh, tusk and uh the trusk and (laughs) and she developed gangrene as a result yeah her and uh the the male lead um but yeah yeah, Noel marshall like he was he was in the hospital so often that people joked about naming the wing after him yeah he got literal cat scratch fever oh Um, god this and this was a disgusting story which i want to tell really quick um one of the as if the just simply dealing with animals wasn't bad enough um, the set was washed away in a flood. <laughs> that that seems camera. that's like the least worst thing that happened yeah. on this in like, the shoot. Like, oh, thank God! It's just tons of water coming out. It's not like many angry lions. But um, yeah, but so, so yeah, so so, so Tippy Hedren sucks uh, is the point I'm trying to make. Uh, because <laughs> like you, because you hear a lot of you know I, I am going to go there about her and Alfred Hitchcock uh, because. You know, you talk about all the abuse that she suffered, you know, during the shooting of the birds. And, you know, there's famously people will be like, oh, you know, she was 
it, it was her alone in that attic set, and there are, you know, stagehands with, like, you know, like, thick gloves, like, handling these birds and, like, throwing them at her and just how, how awful that must have been for her. And it's like, yeah, you can be sympathetic, but then you're like, yeah, and then of her own volition, she had her daughter mauled making a film with 30, uh, 30 big cats. And it's like, it kind of puts things in perspective. And Well, unlike Hitchcock, um, the lions didn't sexually assault her. Right. Hitchcock, Hitchcock like, reading again through through that thread about, you know, he had this, you know, dangerous obsession with her, like this, just this weird possessive, like, need to own and control her to, you know, I don't know, take someone who didn't belong there and bring them into his bedroom. Are you picking up any parallels here? <laughs> Look, you, you inherit your parents' trauma. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, like... <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and and even still, like them soliciting for donations for for the, the Shambolic Reserve or whatever it's called, it's like this isn't a wildlife preservation. Like they aren't like rehabilitate rehabilitating wild cats or cats that were you know disadvantaged or came from a bad neighborhood or whatever. It's like this is to <laughs> this is to preserve our own little like our own wildlife obsession. Like, they aren't well, doing be, any good um, community let's, service. Let's be clear about um, what Shambhala actually is. It's a refuge for animals that can't go back to the wild. Um, right. And it's a nonprofit. Because they were uh, raised in Sherman Oaks. Yeah, well, they're they're taken care of. And again, um, there's, there's no contact between animals and humans yeah and like the thing is rescues like that like they're important because as i was saying earlier on like if if the police bust into someone's apartment and there's like some poor like you know declawed defamed like lion hanging out in the living room like ripley from like alien like the ripley clone that like is almost ripley it can like speak just enough oh, to, like, yeah. beg for, to beg for you to kill it like um it's <laughs> a, a common theme in those series yeah, yeah they that lion's getting euthanized in, unless there is a place like, you know, those wild rescues. And unfortunately, um, roar is not um, a rare circumstance. A lot of people want to have big cats. And man, like like L.A. County, I swear, like has like, like 50 big cat rescues. Like I'm thinking of at least three off the top of my head already, like including this one. Wow. Like, yeah, and it's not because like everyone's, there's just a demand to put these poor animals like somewhere at least they can kind of heal a little bit, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. 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 So I think I mean that I get in, that. I think that in the like thirty or forty years since um Tippy Hedron has has atoned for their absolute idiocy by creating a nonprofit for the animals and simply housing them, not shoving them all together in front of a camera or traumatizing them. Was her appearing in Birdemic a part of the atonement? Or not Birdemic, the other one. Was I saying to you that, um, yeah, uh, she was in um, Julian, Julian Jack. Julian Jack, yeah. Yeah, the, the James Nguyen So her, her atoning. I think I said to you that I was willing to bet that the reason she appeared in that film was because the director said he would donate to Shambhala. <laughs> yeah, which, uh, again, my feelings about Shambhala is like they're, they're trying to solve a problem they created. Like, if you didn't import these lions and if you didn't try to raise them as your own, you wouldn't have a need for Shambhala. Like, am I well, wrong? Well, I think, 
I think that all the, I mean. Th- those lions have to be dead by now, though, right? Like, yeah. yeah. the war lions would definitely have passed away. Because, like, what's a, again, like. The ones that weren't shot lions. anyway by the sheriff's yeah, right. department when they yeah. escaped. <laughs> Yeah, because I think that I think that what they do now is they, you know, they they take animals that can't, you know, obviously like can't go anywhere else, and th- that's that's another thing is that obviously there are, there are rescues and there are rescues, mm-hmm. quote yeah. unquote, yeah. like many of which are unethical and are just basically people like hoarding exotics. Um, there was a terrible example a few years ago in Ohio. I'm sure you guys remember that where the guy topped himself, but but not before he let all his animals out yes murdered by local law enforcement oh or um going and that that was and that movie became 12 monkeys (laughs) (laughs) well even more recently um that that guy who got killed by uh cassowary he you you guys jenny followed me on twitter like i was into this like and (laughs) my mom bless her like bless her like meddling into my life and sneaking on my social media knew this and she found uh the list of all the animals up for auction because it wasn't just the cassowary he had like lemurs these like he had like a variety of like monkeys and rare birds and they talk about this guy like on the auction page like oh he was a pillar of the community i'm like he was trying to breed cassowaries for profit like (laughs) what the fuck (laughs) And he was in like his seventies or something. No, he was an old. Was he was a crazy old man who yeah. had lemurs and like a very deadly species of bird. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and I had seen cassowaries up close, and like you see their feet alone, it's like it's like a dinosaur claw. You're you kind of get like this prehistoric sense of like I need to stay away from this thing. Oh, they're terrifying. We have one uh, at my zoo, and I'll go out and uh, interp with him, you know, and that just means like I tell the guests like what he is and just stuff like that. And he's an old man. He like he's old, and he mostly just kind of sits and lurks. And every now and then he <laughs> stands up. And like I said, this is a accredited zoo. Like I am in no danger. And he stands up, and something in my brain goes, he could kill me. Like, yeah. I don't even think that about like the other animals like at our zoo. I I think about about the cassowary. I'm like, he could kill me. You can just sense it. Yeah, yeah. He's a dinosaur. Don't fuck around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that um, and you know that goes back to um, you know ethical and unethical rescues. The unethical rescues will breed exotics and you know provide them to people who just want to buy them whether for profit or because out of some misguided sense of their you know oh, we're saving these animals by breeding them um i think if i believe that um most of the captive tigers are not really um useful for for breeding for preservation for some reason it depends on the species, I'm guessing. Like, speaking of, like, you know, people who shouldn't be fucking around with exotics, like Siegfried and Royd, I'm sure you guys know this, like, all their tigers were, like, terribly inbred. Um, yeah, the white tigers. Yeah. There is something called... A, cross-eyed tigers. Yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> there's a species... There's something called a, the Species Survival Plan, and basically it's kind of, um, like, I'd say, like, it's a dog show meets matchmaking meets um, conservation. So all these zoos go around, and they basically examine, say, like, in this case, tigers, and they go, okay, this dude's peak male tiger, this one is peak female tiger, and they have no, like, direct relation to each other. They're not, like, you know, cousins or niece and, you know, niece and auntie or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And um, 
then they get paired up and they get bred. Now, for better or worse, the species survival plan isn't about bringing them into the wild. It's just about, in a worst case scenario, and given the way uh, we're going in 20 years, it'll probably just be, um, in a worst case scenario, these animals will exist in some capacity. Um, right, yeah, right. so there is tiger breeding. Um, uh, when it's done for at an accredited place, like say a zoo or like the species survival plan, it's very like tried and true in what they want to do and kind of preserve those lines because you're correct, which is sometimes animals on the pet trade and animals in zoos get like terribly line bred and inbred. And then you have like this like worthless little like, ah, you know, monkey. <laughs> you know, like. So, so- so this program is kind of like like Tinder for tigers. Yep, exactly. P-I-G-R. Oh, I like her. I'm going to swipe right because she's great. <laughs> <laughs> swipe with claws. <laughs> like when you put on acrylics, I'm like, can't use my phone <laughs> to swipe. <laughs> but tigers have permanent ones. Oh. Yeah, so... Um, Jumping off from, oh, I don't think I finished my the story that I was going to tell about uh, Noel Marshall during this flood. Um, and then I kind of want to move on to, um, again, this, like, you know, how we kind of see this these situations, like, through the prism of media today. But, um, you know, the like I said before, the Soledad Canyon um, set was destroyed by a flood, um, and everybody had to come back and help with the animals. And that was kind of interesting that Tippy Hedren says in her in our autobiography that all that almost all of the crew came back to help rescue animals and you know fight the flood um because I don't know if it was um if they had like Stockholm syndrome or they <laughs> felt like so invested in this production or if they just you know really cared you know maybe they just really wanted to help these animals not drown well I mean it's not too too far to you know just get an average person to care about animals right exactly but i mean if if you like animals like go to a zoo though don't make a movie about it well yeah but so in the in the during the events of fighting this flood uh noel marshall who had a very severe leg infection and you know emma maybe you can talk about this a little bit in a minute Mm. very severe leg infection because he'd been bitten by a cat and um he was due for surgery to 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 drain it because his leg was really swollen. At some point, he got a chain wrapped around his leg, I think, by like a panther that he was trying to rescue, and it squeezed all the pus out of him. Oh! So he actually <laughs> didn't need to go for the surgery. Then Doctor oh. Doctor Pimple Pimple <laughs> Doctor Pimple Pimp Pop Pimples like <laughs> Doctor Dr. Panther Lady Popper. Popper. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know this lion was a dermatologist as well. <laughs> but yeah, um, and that's something that I don't think the average person knows about, like, um, you know, wild animal bites. Um, they don't brush Emma their getting, teeth. Well, yeah, Emma, maybe you can speak to this. Like, apparently these bites can be very serious and you can't close up the wound because then you will get, like, just like a horrible infection, and I guess like lion mouths are particularly bad. Now I'm now I'm kind of amazed because uh, I mean I had to take a whole like little course when I got hired about like just um you know 
uh, see, Claire, I didn't like do a good job on the course because I don't remember the term, but it's basically when um, you as a human can get a disease or an infection or something from an animal. But we're, A zoonotic disease. Yes, yes. So we did a whole thing on zoonotic disease. Um, but all I was told was just simply like, you know, wash your hands a lot. If you're working, if the, the apes don't like go into the wild and like, you know, play with like raccoons before you go to your job working if the endangered apes. Um, I mean, <laughs> I would just... sex with monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Hang on, I'm making I'm making a movie with fifty wild raccoons before I go to the <laughs> zoo. <laughs> before I go to no. work. Um, I mean, I, I believe it. I don't know like a ton about it, but I would just say like, you know, any bite can cause infections, especially when you're dealing with an animal that eats, you know, raw meat. I'd guess like I'm also like if you look at a lot of predators like they got mean teeth and a lot of bites are just like a really nasty like puncture I've been been bitten by like a couple things at my jobs and like a lot of like mammal teeth are like punctures so that's just like I don't know man like how get your tetanus shot (laughs) like clearly get five (laughs) five of them if you're directing roar (laughs) like yeah Yeah, uh, I think just that have a whole just have like a two liter of shots like on standby. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you work but going back to the zoo, if you work at the reptile house, there's anti venom there in case of emergencies. Like similar thing, just have a bunch of ten- <laughs> tetanus yeah. vaccines yeah. ready to go. But yeah, um, something that I wanted to bring up, and um, this is something that. Emma and I are both very familiar with because it it fits exactly in our interest. Tim, I think you will remember this show. Um, This was a show called Fatal Attractions that aired on Animal Planet. And it was basically about people... Well, the way that the shows were structured is you... The first part of the episode would be about someone who was killed by their exotic pet. And the rest of the episode would be about somebody who is surely going to be killed by (laughs) their exotic pet. (laughs) And has not yet covered, been killed. They covered, um, you know, they uh, lizards, um, snakes, yeah, like the python, big cats, yeah, chimps. Which, like, I don't, I don't even know if I can go back and watch the chimp episode. Oh, like, that's how I, horrifying that shit. I'm is. I'm disturbed. Was, like, I, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Like, I know. Like, I, I wish they told me they were gonna play that 911 call because I didn't know. And like, oh, oh I was, I was fucked up. I was like, I, you should have like warned me. Television, like NPR warns me when there's gonna be like graphic <laughs> details. Like, shame on you, Animal Planet. <laughs> like, some of us it cannot can... handle the graphic details of maulings. You know, sorry. Sorry, we're special snowflakes or whatever, but you know, blah. <laughs> Tonight on Sword and Scale, chimp crime. Oh. Yeah, like it's 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 fucked, and it's interesting because um, you know this show. Um, it's it's not a new show. I'd say it came out. Um, I think the last few episodes aired in like you know 2013 or so. Um, but to compare the approach of this show with something like Roar or any of those movies which came out in. Um, you know, at a time where people still thought it was like a Garden of Eden thing to interact with wild animals. Um, you know, the contrast is, is, is really remarkable because in, obviously these things are dressed up for, for cable TV. They, they tend to lean very heavily on like the horror aspects of it, you know, cause that's how you, you get viewers, but there's never any, there's never any discussion apart from the point of view of the exotic pet owner who insists that their animal loves them. You know, there's never any discussion of like their connection or their special friendship or anything. It is simply 
an animal with its own, you know, needs and, you know, thoughts such as they are and, and desires, you know. And meanwhile, these people are assuring us, like, no, he would never do that. He loves me. But Oh, it's an abusive animal relationship. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it's so, like, you know, I've been hit once by my tiger, but it doesn't mean he's a bad guy. Well, it's true. there's literally a bit in this movie where, um, you know, like, uh, Noel Marshall's character is, like, yelling at some people, you know, um, who were kind of, like, knocked around a little bit by the cats. And he's like, oh, come knocked on. Around, like, yeah. you're lucky. You're lucky Togar didn't get you. You know, it's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah. Or he says they're just playing, and then he just gets slammed to the ground by like three lionesses. Yeah, we're gonna talk about like the NFL after this or something. Like, oh, he got his bell rung on that hit. <laughs> it's like this this way of sort of like you know euphemistically uh, re- referring to these things. Like, oh, you know, he's just playing. Yeah, like um, and it's something that Tippi Hedren addresses in her her autobiography. I think with time and distance, you know, she's like. You know these these interactions we had these animals these were ridiculous these this was idiotic we were insane to do this we were insane to put our family through this you know um, and she says well you know the positive of it is that I found my life's passion which is you know providing a home for the, these animals and I, I think most people could have skipped that middle step though yeah I mean insane. I don't know like I really loved big cats as a kid. And I love, you know, like I said, I love Born Free and stuff like that. But I never wanted to like have a lion. When I was you a must ki- possess a lion. When I was a kid, like I think, especially like when you're a kid, you want to feel like connections to animals. I think, especially like you're watching like Born Free, we're watching like Disney movies and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. and you, you, you know, in your head, you're like, wow, like I like animals and like. And also, I think as a kid, too, like, you want to be special, you know? Like, you can Mm -hmm. talk to the animals. You can walk with the animals. I don't know the rest of the lyrics. Um, (laughs) And sometimes I just think that, you know, you usually become an adult and reality sets in. But we, I think, as humans have a lot of arrogance. And we do want to be special. Going back to what my boss said, we want to believe we can do anything. And I've met people. Domain over beast. Yeah. And, um... You know, I don't know. I've met people. I've met people who told me they will want like a wolf and they're not messing around. You know, I'll be at my job being like, hey, animals belong in the wild accredited rescues or zoos. And some lady will tell me how in Florida, like she bought a lemur or something, you know, and I got a smile because I like my job. (laughs) And um, (laughs) so it's like it's definitely like like there. And I think on some level, like it's great that we like it's it's a mix. It's. A double-edged sword. It's, yeah, we, on some level, want to care about these animals. And by caring, I think there's always going to be a way where we kind of anthropomorphize them a little bit, you know? And in a way, that's important because it gets people interested in, like, you know, conservation or, you know, even something stupid and misguided like, hey, let's never use straws again because I care about turtles now, you know? Like, that's, (laughs) it's, it's a common thing. And then it sometimes just goes all the way where it's like, yeah, you can care about these animals, but they're animals. Going back to Werner Herzog, it's the the cruel indifference of nature, you know? Yeah, they aren't going to care about you. No. Yeah, and... It's um, it's not a two-way friendship, really. Like, Mm -hmm, you can be responsible and care for them, but, like, you know, you aren't going to be buddy-buddy with a wild animal. That's not how it works. Well, and it's also something which even... um, It affects people's relationship with with domestic animals, like, you know, the way people will say about their dog, like, oh, he thinks he's a person. 
And it's like, no, your dog doesn't fucking think he's a person. Like, he knows that you're something else. Like, you know, like, he's he knows that he's a fucking dog. You know? Yeah, the way he but, goes to work and pays his taxes. He's <laughs> a person. But the way that people project, um, and, you know, this is kind of a way that we come to empathy is, like, you know, we recognize um, good traits in, like, other people, and we tend to project them onto animals as well. You know, it's like me saying like oh like my dog really cares about me it's like well he cares about the food that i give him yeah i just <laughs> he's, you he's, have to be really delusional to think that dog cares about anyone <laughs> i mean he's happy <laughs> oh little reggie he's he's happy to see me because you know he's is there food you know yeah. um and it's a, it, but it's a mix on animals like dogs are inherently sociable <clears throat> so i mean the dog cares about you but it would care about like a, a dog in its pack as well you know? Right. So well, this gets, yeah. gets back to what you're talking about, like domesticated versus wild. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that animals like dogs and, and even horses are able, you know, having spent thousands of years with us, are actually able to, like, read um, human facial expressions and emotions. Um, you know, cats, I think, tolerate us. Um, yeah, they, they can it's read a racket for them. But they, yeah, they but, can read people's emotions, but they don't care. But the I big thing about research. cats, which is everyone brings this up, is they domesticated themselves. Everyone else, we were like, hey, I like this wolf thing. I'm going to keep it. And then, like, when the puppies are nice, I'm going to breed the puppies together, you know, and, and so on. Yeah. Um, cats just started showing up and being like, hey, if I hang out here and I catch mice, like, these things give me food, you know? Yes. And then the cats that didn't run away, like, stayed and bred and, you know, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, cats are kind of yeah. wild. <laughs> Yeah, the thing with the domestic relationships is that these are kind of these are like mutually beneficial relationships between like two different species. Kind of like that, if you're like a pig, not really. Like that's why people. Well, yeah. No, actually, I bring this up because people are trying to have pet pigs, and it's really hard because pigs have been bred to be very terrified of us for good reason. <laughs> so that's uh, that's understandable. She said, chewing on her carnitas burrito. Um, <laughs> And yeah, this, then didn't they write a book about it once? I don't know. <laughs> um, and Tim, to go back to your, um, you know, your opinion about, um, you know, Tippy Hedren and like the whole enterprise, which I think you framed as like a very selfish thing, and Just that's so like, she can keep her stupid exotic pets. Yeah. Well, and this is something that. Um, you know, that really, that I thought of, like, researching this movie, watching this movie, and then relating it, again, to the later show, um, Fatal Attractions, which I highly recommend everyone who can stomach it. Um, you can stream it via the Animal Planet app. Um, it is so good. It is a fucking ride, dude. Like, it's, the... it's, it's, it's fascinating, and, you know, for the reason that it takes, you know, it isn't just... I mean, obviously, there's, like, a prurient element to these people getting fucking killed. Oh, is there, Jen? Wild animals. But there's also the psychological aspect. And, you know, a lot of these people who collect these animals have dealt with some really significant trauma or loss in their own lives. And, you know, which is... So you're saying we can lay this at Hitchcock's feet. (laughs) Which... (laughs) Um, Tibby had an okay upbringing, like, she, and she weathered Hitchcock, like, very well, all things considered, so, you know, credit to her. Um, and I mean, she's still, she's still positive about him as a filmmaker while being pretty frank about how he treated her, but anyway. Yeah, Chinatown is a great movie, I'm sorry, you know, Uh, (laughs) if we're talking about... (laughs) 
Oh, I see what you're talking yeah. about. I thought yeah. uh, I thought you were making a joke about Hitchcock directing Chinatown. No, no, but no. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hitchcock directed everything good in Hollywood. Um, no, so um, what the fuck point was I making? Um, trauma about... people. Some people who people who keep like hyenas in their houses and stuff are like usually like dealing with like yeah. past trauma. What's with yeah, that? and yeah, again, yeah. it's like I was gonna say it's like yes, that's sad, but it's this um, you know, human need to possess. And it's not um, it where and it's often framed by these people as altruistic. You know, it's like I make a crazy movie with fifty lines in it. This is going to be really positive for wildlife preservation, or like, um, yeah. But I, mean, that's I the rescued the this horse. hyena. You know, like where else is the hyena going to go? Like he's uh, I'm all he's got. You, you know what I mean? And I guess the point is that that I'm trying to make is that um, you know, that's like a. You know, the selfish human quality is that we try to rationalize, like, the the crazy things that we do. You know, like, keeping a tiger in your apartment. You know, it's like, well, I'm I'm saving a tiger, you know? That didn't ask to be saved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Emma, do you have an opinion on, um, I mean, I'm sure you do. It's doing the tiger a disservice, too. Like, it's a pawn in your weird little game, Tippy. <laughs> Well, and that's that's the question that I that that I want to put to Emma is like you know what's your opinion on um you know the way uh, certainly the way that we interact with animals like as a species like has improved in a lot of ways you know um for example you mentioned how like at the zoo you know you have a protected contact situation instead of people just like mixing with the animals um and you know the way that we handle them has become much different we think much more of their their welfare and their emotional state um but do you ever get pushback from people who are like well zoos are just wrong oh all i mean all the time i mean no no clearly not as much at the zoo because people who dislike zoos usually don't come in and give the zoo money and then come in and like yell at me you know <laughs> um <laughs> But that being said, no, so I, I constantly get things and they can be a mix of concern, like legit concern, like, hey, like I was reading on the thing that this animal travels 16 miles a day. Is that is that, you know, enclosure, you know, big enough for them? And that's a valid concern. Or sometimes it's yeah. just people not knowing animals, like going back to the lions. People come up to me and they go, those lions are sleeping. They must be really bored. But I will say, like, have you seen a cat? Yeah, one, have you seen a cat? But two, um, I actually went on safari like when I was younger. I went with my family and we found a pride of lions free in the Kalahari Desert. They could go wherever they wanted. Guess what they were doing? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, so no, definitely. And people also going back personifying like they'll be like they'll be like she looks unhappy. And it's like, ma'am, it is an <laughs> elephant. Now she's fully capable of being unhappy. Like, this is a thing. They're capable of complex emotions. But that being said, they don't have facial expressions, you know, like you and right. me. And um, no, yeah, a lot of- You're really of... imposing a, a complex emotional life on these animals. Yeah, and the problem is also going back, like zoos have not always had the best reputation. I think all of us are in that age bracket where we kind of remember as a kid, animals still kind of like an animal jail, you know, in little concrete slabs. <laughs> and oh. yeah, and like, you know, I get like there's some zoos I remember as a kid and being like, I don't want to go here, mommy, it's depressing. <laughs> like um, we've definitely in very 
recent times come a long way. Um, but that being said, people still kind of remember those like negative situations. And some people like honestly just believe that zoos shouldn't be around at all. And I'll honestly mm -hmm. say like zoos in this point in time are definitely important because what they're doing is a fuck ton of conservation. Going back to species survival plan, like the way the state of the world is going some of these animals might not exist in the wild. Maybe mm -hmm. ideally, like, you know, like the wild's the optimist, you know, place for them to be. Maybe there are some animals in our care that, like, shouldn't have been, like, brought into, like, you know, yield Nigel Worthington's menagerie of curious wonders, you know, a long time ago and then been, like, <laughs> breeded, you know, for a century. But they're here now, and I think a good reputable zoo definitely has, you know, the animal's interests at heart for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think it just comes down to really kind of explain to people like what we're doing now and how we've changed stuff. And going back to what you said, like a lot of times people will be like, you know, you'll be like, well, ma'am, like these animals can't go to the wild. And they say, well, they should go to a sanctuary. And like you said, <laughs> some sanctuaries, I've, I, someone told me once they were like, oh, like you should like I went to this elephant sanctuary. We got to ride them, which ah, that you don't yes. ride them anymore. Like that's something most like animal welfare groups agree. Like that's not okay for an elephant. So it's like yeah, that's some fucking sanctuary, all right. Um, yeah. I'm rambling in their natural habitat. Yeah, with tourists mm -hmm. around. Yeah. And I mean, I'm rambling slightly, but also there's a sheer hypocrisy of people where like they'll go to the zoo and they'll like look at a look at the alligator and they'll be like, he's clearly miserable because he's not moving and he has a <laughs> frown on his face. Yeah, he and, doesn't have yeah. like a straw and boater and a cane. And then go home and on Facebook post the dodo like, oh, my God, look at these baby tigers a Saudi prince owns and he's driving him around in his Hummer. It's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> There's natural yeah, habitat. Yeah, so, I mean, how do I put this? Like, oh, this is kind of cathartic. I have to be so much nicer at my job. Um, sometimes people don't know what the <laughs> fuck they're talking about. I'm always very happy to answer questions sincerely because, yeah, like, zoos are always improving. And maybe five years from now, things that we're doing where we're like, oh, this is really good for the animal, we're going to be like, oh, that wasn't the best thing. And we're constantly getting better. But that's what, that's what science is to an extent, you know? That science is always just learning and developing and growing and to an extent zoo zoology is an institute of science so mm -hmm. <laughs> that was a lot but uh, that felt nice to say i can't say that my job <laughs> no and i like i find that, that we're the movie really... zoology podcast <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. but that's very interesting to me and you know um relating it back to the end of the movie where the characters after having been attacked over and over um settle into a peaceable kingdom with uh hank's 101 cats yes <laughs> yeah um you know which is obviously you a cut like the first 85 minutes off of that movie though and just shown like the <laughs> montage of them like palling around with like tigers well yeah, exactly. nice. it, yeah it is it is very nice and cute and sweet but i mean it's canned it is a fatuous fantasy of human animal interaction and like Emma, do you think that um, people, when they have like a positive um, impression of of you know an animal's environment? I mean, obviously, we like to imagine animals being wild and free and 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 doing what they do, or you know, like safe in a sanctuary. But um, do you find that maybe the truth is like a little bit more ambiguous? Because obviously, like life in the wild is like very 
tough. Oh, no, definitely. I say this, like, I haven't gotten fired for it yet, but I say it. I'm like, these animals have better health care than we do. Like, right. and here's the thing, um, similar situation. And if I was in like a nice house and I was always getting food, if I had a toothache, someone came and took care of me, you know, didn't charge me anything. I got to do things that stimulate me. So just being on podcasts all day, you know, <laughs> um, I'd, I'd probably be pretty content and pretty happy. And that's the thing. I think people imagine you know animals loving you know oh man i i love going through like a famine caused by global warming you know and everyone in my herd dropping dead you know or poached by you know impoverished farmers who are desperately trying to feed their family you know um I mean, obviously there are some things animals need and the big challenge I think for animals in human care is can we meet those needs? And if we can't, then perhaps we have to kind of reevaluate, you know, if we should be having them at all. If we can meet them though, then I think that's important that we have, you know, them in our care for conservation and to an extent research and educational purposes. In that right. context, though, like of of animals' uh, welfare, it's like what a luxury boredom is too. Yeah, just like yeah, you don't have to worry about day to day survival. Yeah, that's true. Like, um, because when you get fed, like, like for example, if you're a lion and you get fed really good meat every day, you know, yeah, that's living that life. You're not... you know, animal resort. Yeah, I mean, and that's assuming that you're not just living in some asshole's backyard and, like, he throws, yeah, no. you know, chickens yeah. with the feathers on <laughs> you or whatever. Yeah, you're eating fellow Iraqis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a very vibrant diet of long pig. <laughs> <laughs> I eat only well. the finest political dissidents. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole new ecosystem. Yeah. The people, the people rise up. They get fed to the apex predators, and the cycle continues. And I keep the skin, which I eat. <laughs> Sorry, well, is no, there any... I need to put huh? something in the in the mystery science theater quote swear jar for that one. Unfortunately. Oh yeah. Well, technically, yeah. that's that goes in the riff tracks jar. It's it's all the same. Yeah, I just owe them a <laughs> a, a royalty now. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I wanted to say about. Uh... Fatal well, attractions, but I think we, you know, we kind next, of covered it. Next episode, we're doing. That... Uh, next episode, we're doing Crocodile Hunter Collision Course, right? <laughs> oh hell yeah! Yeah, we're we're doing a, a whole theme. <laughs> it's just it's just gonna be all animal shows from now. I'll on. I'll do that. I'll, I like I said, I like I like being the correspondent on this. You know, like I mean, because <laughs> Struggle Sessions had me on as their anime correspondent, but I'm kind of neck and neck of Alex Batak and like you know, so I'm kind of like second second fiddle, you know, or second banana, oh, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but here yeah, it's like uh-huh, I'm like the only animal correspondent. Like I'm in high need right now. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> well, on that note, is there anything else that we want to say to wrap up Roar? It was a huge fiasco. Yeah, that's putting it mildly. I, I mean, I really, ah, so angry watching it. But... <laughs> yeah, you were literally like angry texting me, like yeah. this movie has no merit. <laughs> it, it's true. Yeah, it does not. Uh, yeah, just like all the emojis in my notes, like little angry faces and like the thinking guy and the thumbs down. Yeah, like I just, I just became like preliterate and just like ah, all these, these. Little pictures will tell everyone how I feel. <laughs> I guess maybe because um, it, it isn't just that the movie's like bug house insane. I guess I also you know like I like lions and tigers and shit. I like not bears those. though. Fuck them. No. 
Well, <laughs> at least they didn't throw a fucking bear in there. Can you imagine? Oh, I, that would have yeah. been unbearable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> would have barely had any screen time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, <coughs> you know the the <coughs> excuse me <coughs> the free sun. Can of you barely this. breathe? No. <laughs> The frisson of watching this movie, which, you know, it many times, like, threatens to descend into snuff. You know, that's <laughs> something. Um, I like seeing the animals, but there's also the ethics of actually making the damn thing. I mean, is it ethical to watch this movie? <laughs> that's a good question. From an entertainment perspective? No. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just thinking, like, who's, I mean, you'd have to figure out, like, who the money's going towards at this point. What are they doing with the money? Is the money, is it like, uh, is the money being, like, pledged to go help out, like, other sanctuaries and protecting, you know, these animals in the wild? It's a good question. I don't know, I don't know what that 10 bucks went to now. Hmm. Yeah, it's hmm. probably helping the draft house hire more uh, staff to yell at people for whispering during a screening. So... <laughs> You know. Well, I mean, you know, thanks to Emma's boyfriend, though, now, you know, their production company is only in the hole $16,999,990. Every bit counts. That's actually a good question. Like, I think that, um, <coughs> you know, obviously the rights are now with, um, excuse me, obviously the rights are now with uh, Draft House, and also there's a production company called Olive Films, which I think is like splitting the revenue. With uh, with draft. Yeah, you think anyone's um, getting royalties? Think Melanie Griffin's like gonna get a check now for like five cents because because we bought <laughs> Roar. Like, <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I think she's she's Melanie's probably fine. Um, you know, if anybody feels watches just this and feels fine and just doing really okay. <laughs> you know, it's it just like... um, watch Working Girl. It's better. Um, if you feel bad having watched this, just you know um. Cut a check to the Shambhala Foundation. It'll it'll feed some lions who like can't live in the wild anymore or whatever. Yeah, they can only they've been acclimated to Sherman Oaks only. God, those poor lions. Oh, yeah. that commute too. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, anybody else have anything to say about Roar? It was a it was a prideful experience watching. Oh it. God. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you have to do that? <laughs> I can't top that. 